It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Hey everyone, want to welcome you again, Matt Hausman. Smart Money Questions podcast. Glad you are here. One of the things I just want to address real quick is the last podcast we did, the interview with Harlan talking about reverse mortgages. We got a lot of questions in on that, and I am going to dedicate a podcast just to addressing those particular questions, especially going more into the uh, inner workings of how they work, how you can incorporate it, or some of the strategies on how it fits into holistic planning, tax mitigation, strategic IRA withdrawals, many of the things that we talked about, uh, sequence of return risk, helping to uh, really mitigate that. And so we will end up taking the time to address that. Might even have Harlan back on that on that particular subject. So just want to let you know we will be uh, taking care of those questions individually in one collective show uh, over the course of the next uh, couple weeks. So what I wanted to do today is I'm going to jump back into some questions, some smart money questions that we have received over the course of uh, about the last four or five weeks and dive into those. And because we're doing this new format, I'm going to spend a little more time on each one and actually do more than just a couple, uh, two or three questions go into uh, five or six questions that have come up. And a couple of them have come up repeatedly. So I want to make sure to address those. So the first one comes to us from Jane in Delaware. And her comment is, what's a good interest rate for a savings slash money market account right now? Or is there no such thing as a good interest rate at the moment. And what I would tell you right now, compared to the last five, eight, 10 years, interest rates on, for the most part, savings account, traditional savings accounts. And what you want to look for there is where you're going to put your money is the interest rates are hovering anywhere from two to, if you just go to bankrate.com and you go in and look, you can see there are some banks that are even as high as 2.5%. But one of the things you want to look at in understanding if it's a good rate is how much money are you going to put into that? So for instance, myself, I'll use myself, I use a savings account for a couple different buckets of money that we have. So one of the buckets I have is uh, in the way that we pay our taxes, we pay quarterly taxes in addition to uh, payroll taxes for the money that we have on payroll through the companies, is I use a savings account for the money I put aside for tax purposes. And the bank I currently use is Ally Bank. That's A-L-L-Y Bank. I think the website's A-L-L-Y.com. You can check them out. It's an internet bank, and that's where you're going to find a lot of these better interest rates versus going, if I did the same thing at Wells Fargo, which is where we have all of our business accounts and our personal checking account, I'm only going to get about you know maybe half a point, maybe 0.4% there. But one of the things you want to look at for the internet banks, I'm looking at bankrate.com as I'm recording this, and it's paying 2.25% at State Farm Bank. Uh, Goldman Sachs, or it says Marcus by Goldman Sachs, same thing, two and a quarter. American Express has a bank, personal savings account, 2.1%. As I said, Ally, 2.2%. So you want to look at, first of all, make sure it's a traditional savings account so you have full liquidity. In addition to that, you want to make sure that it's FDIC insured. And so 
many times people or when I talk to people and I, and I, I've been talking and spreading the, the word about, in addition to the tax count, by the way, we keep our emergency funds there, our savings or, uh, you know, rainy day fund, what have you, is it's kept in a separate account there for the purpose of being that emergency fund also paying us right now 2.2%. I've had those accounts, I think now for four or five years. And what I've noticed is the interest rates are, they're very aggressive on increasing them. The liquidity and the fact that it's an online bank, many times people worry about true liquidity. But what I can tell you is most of these banks, Capital One is set up the same way, American Express. I'm not really sure about State Farm or Goldman Sachs, the, the markets through Goldman Sachs. But the other ones are set up where you simply you link their savings account with, let's say, what I have is my checking account. And I literally could get on as, uh, I couldn't do it now because I'm recording past four o'clock, but if I actually did this and was recording at two o'clock and I wanted to transfer money from my savings account at Ally and put it into my Wells Fargo checking account, I can go in. Now, you do want to realize that there's, there's certain limits that each bank will have on how much you can transfer. I think Ally Bank is like $20,000. But you can transfer that, and if I would have did that today at 2 o'clock, boom, it's in my account tomorrow. So the liquidity, the only planning needed is a one day in advance of needing the money as to how you push it over there. So the fact that it's FDIC insured, it is completely liquid. It's a savings account. One thing to remember about a savings account is there is a limit of six withdrawals on a per statement or most of the time they're cutting a monthly statement. So six withdrawals per month. Although I did find out that if you have an ATM card, you can actually pull out more times than that. But I would not suggest that for an emergency fund or a savings account is having it out there in the internet where you have to physically go get on the computer, transfer the money out. I believe that that's the best place for an emergency fund out of sight, out of mind. So when you need it, it's actually there. So Jane, hopefully that answers your question. We'll jump into the next one. This is Hector in Texas. I'm torn between contributing to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. Which is better? Great question. If I get this question once a week, I get it 10 times a week. It doesn't matter if it's a Roth IRA, traditional IRA, or now a traditional 401k or 403b with a Roth 401k or Roth 403b opportunity in it. What is the better place to take the money? So I'm, I'm going to dive into this because one of the questions I get, and there really isn't a, there isn't a blanket answer for everybody because it depends on where you are in your savings life. How long have you been saving? How much money is sitting over in your traditional 401k or how much money is in your traditional IRA? Now should I be switching it over into the Roth opportunity, whether it's a 401k or traditional Roth IRA? The idea that you want to think about is this, and I, I posted a video on understanding tax diversification. And in the video, I'm able to show you an actual tax return on understanding if all of my money is in IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, what have you, qualified retirement accounts. What does that look like? How much tax do I have to pay the way out the door? In other words, taking money out, distributing it to myself now, and you know, living my retirement life. What does that look like? What's the cost on my exit strategy versus if I'm tax diversified? I have money still in IRAs. IRA money is not bad. We just don't want to have all of our 
money there. And then having money in traditional after-tax investments, a traditional brokerage account. And then also having money in a Roth, a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, what have you. So Hector, to answer your question, what I would say is where are you in your savings life? If you're working, you know, and we have 401k opportunities, what do those 401k opportunities look like? Do I have a Roth opportunity? Is there a company match? Everyone, please hear me and make sure you send this to your kids so your kids hear this. If they are working at a company that offers a 401k, even if it's a traditional 401k, if it's offered a match, they want to absolutely take advantage of it. That's free money. And I would tell you to look at that money. That's what's actually going to pay the tax. Your money is going to come back out to you in a much more tax efficient way, but that money is what's going to help pay the tax on the way out the door. If there's also a Roth opportunity within the 401k, take advantage of that as well. One question I would actually ask HR if you have a match is, if I decide to put all of my money, let's say I'm 55, I'm 60 years old, and I've been putting into a traditional 401k my whole life. Most of my assets are over there. As a matter of fact, we have a client that just came on board with us. That was her situation. All of her money is qualified retirement account money. What we did is we are shifting now. We're about five years from her retirement, and we're shifting all of her contribution into the Roth 401k opportunity. And the other question I had her ask was she was she's actually getting a very healthy match is where are they going to put the match and do you have a choice in her case she did she had a choice that she could direct them on where they were going to put the match so we are maxing out as much as she can afford her Roth 401k opportunity and electing the match to go into the same thing so the reality hector is is both the Roth IRA or the traditional IRA are good overall investments. I would tell you to incorporate saving into both of them if possible. Look at your overall situation. How much money do you have sitting already in qualified retirement accounts? Is it time to start tax diversifying? Because it creates so much tax mitigating opportunities when you are tax diversified when it comes time to start spending the money. And Hector, I didn't get your age when you sent the question in, but it doesn't matter if you're 30 or if you're 60. One of the things we want to be thinking about is the tax cost on all of the money we save when it comes time to retirement and what that retirement paycheck that we're going to create is going to look like. So great question, Hector. Hopefully that answers it. If you want to be more specific, feel free to give us either shoot us over an email or give us a call info app smartmoneyquestions.com or 610-719-3003. The next question comes to us from Jim right here in Pennsylvania. My kids will start going to college in about four years. I currently have all of their college savings in technology stocks. Should I diversify and what should I diversify to? Question number one. I hear we're expecting a recession in the next year or two. So I want to make sure I'm positioned properly to weather that storm, but also add some more return to the coffers in that time frame. So there's a couple different ways to look at Jim's question. This really comes to, I really like this question because the question also we can incorporate right into retirement. We can say I'm four years from retirement. In this case, he's four years from that savings. The purpose of that money is to send the kids to college. And they're going to start in four years. So here's what I would tell you. We want to start looking at 
how we should diversify, how much money we should have at risk for, quote, return to fill the coffers more versus what we're going to need to spend for those educational needs or if we're retiring, when it's going to start time to withdraw those funds. So one thing I would tell you, Jim, is to look at what I call time horizon risk management. One of the things you want to think about, if you're going to start needing that money in four years, you want to start peeling as much as going to be needed in four years, and then it's going to be five and six and seven and moving forward, depending on how long you're expecting to fund that college. And you want to peel that off where we are drastically starting to mitigate our risk. The one thing I would tell you, I'm not a big uh, proponent of, in this case, you're in just a sector, a technology sector. Sounds like you're owning individual stocks within that sector. I would talk about being diversified more in what's called asset class diversification, utilizing index funds, where we talk about, and I won't go into a lot of detail here, but we talk about U.S. large cap growth stocks, very similar to like what's in the S&P. We also have micro cap stocks, smaller companies. We have mid cap, we have international. And then of course, we want to incorporate bonds. Bonds are what's helped kind of level out the volatility that we know the equities or the stocks are going to create or produce, whether it's domestic or international, doesn't matter. We know that the volatility is there. But Jim, what I would tell you in terms of diversifying is you want to sit down and do some planning. And the planning I would tell you is, how much am I going to look to start spending off whatever I have saved to get to that or in that fourth year when the first kid or multiple kids could be going at that time? What am I going to spend? And one of the things that we really want to be careful about is the very last thing that Jim talked about was, but I want to add more return to the coffers in that time frame. And one of the things that I hear this all the time, especially when the market is doing good, it's kind of funny, I never get this question like in December of last year when the market's tanking on, I'm looking for more return, I want to take my savings money and throw it into the market. It's kind of funny, I don't get it then. But when the market is producing, it's almost like we want to do away with the idea that I always talk about, which is position with purpose. Some of the money that you've saved for a long time for your kid's education, you need to take it off the risk element because you're going to need it in four years. Now, you can still have some risk. You can start to lower that risk. But for instance, when you're like 18 months away, from starting that college, I would advise you to have a lot of money in cash because in the event there's any type of volatility, and quite frankly, even if we had just an all-bond portfolio, there still is risk associated there. We can lose value. If it's just sitting in a cash position, then it doesn't matter what the market is doing, and you don't have to have anxiousness about what the market's going to do when it's time to cut that first check for education. And we can talk about this same thing when, with retirement planning. For four, five, six, eight years out from retirement, that's the best time to start doing it and positioning money correctly, looking at what I call time horizon risk management. And that is where we create different buckets of money with different risk elements for the purpose of withdrawal. So it doesn't matter in Jim's case, it's actually spending money for college or it could be spending money for a Viking cruise over in Europe. One way or another, the money is being used and needing to be spent, and whatever money we're looking to do that with, we want to make sure we take it off the risk table. But from a diversifying standpoint, Jim, what I would tell you to do, I'm a big proponent of asset level, large cap, domestic, 
or international, all the way down to micro cap, smaller companies. I'm more into that because when you invest based on asset class, you automatically incorporate all of the sectors because technology companies are very large. They're at the very top, Apple. They can be all the way at the bottom, a startup. So that's where we can still have our sector diversification, but also have asset level diversification. So Jim, Jim, hope that helps. The next one comes to us from Diane in Florida. And she's actually got a couple of questions here. And so I'm going to dive into both of these. And her first question is, I recently got a very large inheritance, some of which I'll have to pay taxes on. My first question is why? The second question is, this is going to make a huge difference in my life because I'm 57 and I haven't saved much for retirement. The problem is that because I've done such little investing over the years, I really have no idea where to start. What's the first step? So let's address the first thing. I recently got a very large inheritance, some of which I'll have to pay taxes on. And why is that? So let's address that. One of the things that many people, they're really not clear on inheriting and any tax issues that come around from that. So one of the things that you want to be aware of in in the event you're inheriting IRAs, yes, you will have to pay tax on the, when you decide to distribute those assets to you. You're the one now responsible for the tax. If you inherit annuities, non-qualified, not even annuities and IRAs, but non-qualified annuities and the person that originally owned them, they put that money in there and it's called tax deferred growth. You're deferring paying the tax on the growth until some point in time and either the person that owned it or the person inheriting it. And so you want to understand that where you currently are investing your money, your heirs can end up having the same thing. So Diane, the first thing I would tell you is why are you having to potentially pay some tax on that? You want to make sure that you have a real good understanding on the type of money you are inheriting. And I would tell you that if it is IRA type of money, qualified retirement account money, everything but a Roth, is you want, there's a specific way that you can inherit that and start to look to mitigate what the taxes would be on that account. On the other account, let's say it's annuities, you really want to understand, usually there's only a couple different ways that the companies allow you to take that money. And one way it can be just a lump sum. And so then it's all whatever the deferred gain is on that account is going to be doing payable right now in this tax year. Uh, some will allow you to stretch it out over five years and others uh, you can actually create an annuity payment. So how that works is you definitely either you can feel free to call us or deal with a professional that really understands how that and that can actually end up giving you more detailed answers on why you're potentially having to pay tax on some of that inheritance. But let's talk about this. You're 57 years old, haven't saved much for retirement. So because of that, you've done very little investing. You have no idea where to start. What's the next step? A couple things that I would tell you to go through the process of doing, first of all, is when do you want to retire? When is that date? And I classify retirement as the day that full-time job stops, that means the paycheck stops, that means whatever you have saved, it doesn't matter if it's an inheritance or what you've actually invested, I'm going to have to turn that into a now retirement paycheck. And the next thing I would tell you to do is how much am I going to need? Many times when I talk to people, they first come in 
and they, they talk to us and they want to start the planning process is I'll ask them that question. Well, have you, have you really sat down and done a budget on what you're going to need in retirement? And in some cases, you know, retirement might be 10 years away. And what I tell people in that scenario is, well, the reality is let's look at what your budget is today. I really haven't had many people come in to say, hey, listen, when I retire, I want my lifestyle to go down 50%. That's not what people talk about. So we can use today's numbers and then we can create an inflationary factor. So uh, Diane, you're 57. We can go ahead and we'll, let's say you actually, okay, I want to retire at 65. And we'll create the budget based on today, run inflation up to that point, and then that can help us see what's going to be needed from an asset perspective, how much we're going to need to create an income stream. And obviously, you look at other things. If you have a pension, Social Security, you know, how is that all going to fit into play to let you see what are the best things and is it even doable to retire at 65? That's when you can start looking at where can I invest the money? You know, many times I just sat with a gentleman the other day and his comment was, he walked in and said, hey, listen, I'm inheriting this amount of money. I want to retire in 10 years. Tell me what to do. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny because people think that, oh, I can, I'm just going to wave a wand. Boom. I can. This is exactly what you should do. Everything's going to be fine. When you start looking at holistic planning, there's so much that you want to be looking at to then decide where and how to invest the money. In this case, Diane, that you're going to inherit, in this particular case, that's exactly what I told that gentleman. I was like, listen, I really can't help you until we get some concrete answers on these questions. And so that's the first place I would start for uh, Diane, I would tell you to do in terms of where to invest the money. With regards to paying some tax on that inheritance, that's really important now. You want to see if there's any opportunities for you to mitigate that tax cost. Obviously, if you can mitigate the tax, that means more in your pocket and more for your long-term retirement. So those are the questions we addressed today. Hopefully that has been helpful. You've got something out of that. If anyone sent in those questions, I know I kind of dived in and many times that, that that one question creates more questions. If you'd like more detailed information, feel free to reach out to us and we'll be more than happy to do that. If you're also wanting to have a question or a scenario or a situation addressed on the show, just go ahead and email us at info at smartmoneyquestions.com or pick up the phone and call us 610-719-3003. Hopefully that has been helpful for you guys. You guys take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. 